0: The Hornets continue to lose, and they continue to lose close games. Why is that happening? We discuss an attempt to answer that question coming up today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day in the minute. We live. We live. We live. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Prize First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepix.com, promo code locked on. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We're free and available anywhere you get your podcast that includes YouTube. I'm Walker Mail. You can find me on WFNZ. You can listen to the Hornets games on WFNZ as well. I'll be at the Spectrum Center today from 12 to 3. Going to be asking all the tough questions to Steve Clifford. Also going to be talking with Sam Farber. Don't know what player we're going to get. Maybe a couple, maybe an assistant coach. But we'll be doing that as well on the Wes and Walker show. And then Doug Branson, you can catch his work on his sub stack, Every Hornets Box Score at Every com. Some more losses to write about at Every EveryHornetsBoxScore.com. You had the game Friday night against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was a doozy. Two overtimes. You had Terry Rozier go nuclear at the end. Clutch Terry, certified gamer Terry, as you might call him. He showed up at the very end, and he was awesome. Had the game-tying three, then had the go-ahead three in overtime. But Darius Garland was just a little better trading those haymakers with one another. And Darius Garland was actually doing it in the regular portion of that game. So they eventually fall to the Cavs. And then last night, to the Washington Wizards, close game. I think it got within, I think after the Kai Jones just unbelievable transition dunk, which might need its own segment at some point this week. That's what you need to ask
1: Clifford about. What did he really think about that Kai Jones dunk? Was he impressed or was he peeved? I want to, yeah, that's the question you got to ask.
0: Oh, you mean just going to reverse it? That's why he would be frustrated. Did just, hey, just do a nice old lay-in at that point. Um, (laughs) In a
1: a tight game, you know. mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yes, I I always get hell, by the way. There was a time uh, in my senior year where I could have dunked it, and then I laid it in, and I've never been able to live that down. It was a close game, though. We won, but everybody wanted me to dunk it, and I didn't because I was scared. Never dunked in a regulation game. Can't say that about Kai Jones, especially with what he did last night. Close game. 106-102. to Hornets lose. Fourth quarter, Washington scores 29 points after Washington only scored 18 in the third and another close game, the Hornets' fall. Doug, why is this happening? Can you help me explain this to the people? Can you explain it to the people and maybe even Steve Clifford for us to fix?
1: Well, I mean, I think that that game against Cleveland really came down in that overtime period, not not to the Darius Garland three, but what set up the Darius Garland three, which was PJ Washington missing a blockout on Evan Mobley, and I think a lot of people may have been wondering why, like, why is why is PJ Washington even out there responsible for uh, for blocking out Evan Mobley, and it was because Clifford rightly went small to, to guard, you know, to basically switch all all pick and rolls, which which they. Cleveland Cavaliers have been hammering the Hornets with. So they go small, and P.J. had an opportunity to block out Evan Mobley but didn't because he was ball-watching a little bit. Watched the shot go up by Mitchell for just like a half second too long, and Mobley beat him to the spot. Uh, so that that's one play where you, you lose a game, essentially, on that play because this in the second overtime they just ran out of gas and the guards were too good for Cleveland. And, and Washington, It actually, I thought they took a lead into the fourth quarter, and that horrible fourth-quarter start – that they mm-hmm. had um, was really what sank them. Uh, Kuzma got the switch on Richard. Step back three. Uh, they all of a sudden it was a four point deficit. They got nine quick, you know, points. Washington did on open threes. But there was a particular play, 10-20 to go in the fourth quarter, wrote this down in my notebook, just could not get a defensive rebound. And it was really like Nick Richards letting Taj Gibson run through the lane. He was playing two-hand touch, not being physical at all. And then the miscommunication between Richards and Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier was standing on the basket for some reason. Like he almost got a defensive three-second call on that and said they let... Uh, I believe it was Jordan Goodwin hit that three, and so it's just lack of physicality, it's lack of uh, awareness and defensive rebounding, and and you know Clifford mentioned toughness, but I would also say Walker, they're not hitting three pointers, like they're not hitting shots, and that's killing them. No, they're not
0: hitting at all. I mean, if you go to the last two games, I'll try to bring up these box scores real quick, but the one against Washington, I mean, they shot under 40% overall from the field. They were eight of 32 from three-point land, and they yeah. shot 25%. If you go to the game against Cleveland, those numbers are actually inflated because they hit shots at the very end. Yeah, I mean, it counts. The only reason I'm making that point is because, remember, the comeback they had to endure in order to force it to overtime, right? They were yeah, well, down was, 10. Well, they were
1: down 10 with like less than a minute to go, and they just hit shot. I think they hit four three-pointers so, right there to tie the game. It's crazy. So huge threes,
0: monstrous threes from PJ, from Kelly, and then, of course, from Terry Rozier mm-hmm. in regulation and in overtime with the go-ahead three. It mm-hmm. was just Darius Garland is... Oh, God, like, Darius Garland's awesome. <laughs> what, what he was doing in this game was crazy. Yes, having Donovan Mitchell helps, too, where he scores 34. And you bring up Evan Mobley. I thought, you know, I, I was in the studio at WFNZ, and somebody said, oh, hell yeah, Terry's got Evan Mobley on him. This should be cake. And I was like, was no, this is by design. <laughs> this Like, this is yeah. not because Evan Mobley, this is not some switch they were able to get on a big guy. This is by design, and Evan Mobley stayed all sorts of in front of Terry, and then it was a great contest on a fadeaway. That, that, that team, man, in Cleveland, I think to me, that just came down to having freaking dudes. Donovan, Darius, Jarrett Allen did a lot of the dirty work going into the fourth quarter. Evan Mobley, 9 of 14, but also defensively, how about 18 rebounds, 5 assists. Cleveland is just freaking good. You know, so that but well, you're having, right. Like, well, true. having
1: lots of talent and having lots of shot making talent can help you in yeah. the NBA because remember, Cleveland came into that game on a five game losing streak. So they yeah, were right. they were dealing with their own sets of problems despite all of that talent. But that talent can lift you up and out of those streaks. And right now the Hornets have lost eleven of their last twelve games. And I understand Steve Clifford coming out and being upset about the toughness, about being upset about that that stretch at the beginning of the fourth quarter. What I would posit is that Yes, that it is true that that blockout, missed blockout, and Cleveland lost in the game. It is true, I think, that the beginning portion of the fourth quarter and not being able to get a defensive rebound lost them that game. But you're not in that position if you just hit a few more three-pointers because the defense overall has been good enough, has been clamping down on really decent offensive teams, and yet you get 3 of 14 from Terry Rozier, 0 of 6 from 3. You you get you really have gotten nothing from Jalen McDaniels. He was he was three of ten in this game, but his offense has gone completely away, and you're just not getting enough shot making uh, to make a significant difference, and and that's what's killing them right now. Well,
0: and the other thing, this goes back to what Steve Clifford would preach the first time he was here, and he would do this in reference to Jeremy Lamb because Jeremy Lamb was someone that would show up every now and then and we'd get excited for a couple games stretch that he was playing and steve clifford would always caution us and say the good players in the nba put it together throughout a season any player in the league can have a two-week stretch because that's how good the league is everybody is here for a reason you can have a two-week stretch can you have a month-long stretch can you have a season-long stretch and i think At at a level that these players on this roster, with the injuries, at a level they were asked to play, they could do that for a two week stretch. They they could do that for a three and three start and a close win against Golden State to compete against the Knicks in overtime, you know, or or even a couple of these other games, right? But they can't play at this different level for such a long time. Because that's just not who they are right now. And you can experiment, right? We talked about P.J. trying to expand his game, putting the ball on the deck. I think we've probably maxed out right now what we're going to get from P.J. Lost the ball a couple times. Really frustrating. You know, it's not like you want him to put it on the deck all the time. You want him to have that ability when he needs to do it. I think we've seen that. We we know that we have the 30-point game in P.J. We know that we have a 28-point performance on good efficiency from him. But we don't have that every we we have that maybe back to back contest. We're probably not going to get that in the three game stretch. That's okay. But actually it might not be okay right now because of all the injuries. And so Jalen McDaniels, all these other players, right? You know, we can get to a couple of role players that have exceeded the ability uh, we thought they'd have you know coming in we'll get to that in the third segment I did want to have you finish up this segment though with a couple of three-point statistics that you saw on cleaning the glass they open threes because we're trying to figure out why so many open shots is it or why so many missed open shots is it the offense is it is it that they are getting open shots and they're just not hitting is it something Steve Clifford's doing I know you kind of came across some numbers to help. Well the that.
1: answer is that they are still getting open shots that I don't I don't think that fundamentally there's something particularly wrong with the offense. They are just missing shots. Like if you look at, uh, they're, they're seventh in the league over the last 12 games. I looked at the 12 games because they've lost 11 of 12 over those 12 games. They're seventh in the league and the percentage of three-point field goals that come from open looks, as defined by NBA.com. I think it's four to six feet closest defender. So they're getting, they're generating a lot the open fun. looks but they're 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 second to last in percentage on those looks i mean they're they're detroit pistons level bad at knocking down those shots and they're they're not. Uh, they're not. But I would say that that a lot of those I think are coming from pull up. That not as many, not enough of them are coming on catch and shoot. They're near the bottom of the league in those twelve games in catch and shoot percentage, at, at both in hitting them and generating them. So you know maybe something to look at there. That the pull up game, and we've seen. I think that matches the eye test too. Like I've seen several attempts from Ke- from Kelly who's missing a lot of three point shots, from Terry, from Jalen, yeah, from PJ that are contested three point three point shots that are going. Up with like 15, 16 seconds left on the shot clock. I think if you're looking for something to change slightly in the offense, you know they've got to figure that out. But ultimately, honestly, I think this comes down to your best shot makers have to start making shots. And and I look directly at Terry Rozier having to take some responsibility for knocking down some shots because if you hit two or three three pointers in this game. It's it's going to make a world of difference, and it won't have to come down to having to make every single defensive rebound and make every single defensive play.
0: All right, coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast.
1: Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet.
0: We're going to discuss a little more of why they're losing some of these close games. We do have some praise to give to certain players as well. And also Steve Clifford, he talked about effort problems. Again, I do want to dive a little deeper into those comments. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck navigating Any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, plus it's 100% online. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, available 100% online plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/lockdown nba. That's betterhelp h e l p .com/lockdown nba. We'll dive deeper into Steve Clifford's comments coming up next, Lockdown Hornets. This is Locked On Hornets. To start this off, we all know about LeBron and how he built a school and it got a lot of fanfare. By the time 2019 closes, Bismack Biombo is planning to have six.
1: Take that, LeBron. It's time for more of the Locked
0: On Hornets podcast. Thanks for making Locked On Hornets your first listen today. Make your next listen Locked On Sports today from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights. Only Locked On can provide. You brought up the comments. I heard Steve Clifford last night afterwards speaking to reporters, and he was interjecting, um, he was uh or i mean he would interrupt as well rod boone when he would you know would ask some of these questions frustrated steve losing another close game he was jumping ahead of whatever question was asked and he talked about how physicality was a problem last year and it's continuing to be a problem this year and in his frustration steve clifford mentioned that it's not something you have to work on this is not hey let's go practice this a couple of weeks and then maybe we'll start to get better at it he it's it's code for effort it, it not rebounding, not defensive rebounding, not getting back on defense and transition. It's code for effort. And Steve Clifford, he's mad about it. He's talked about that a few different times this season, and he discussed even so how it was a problem for this team last year, and that's not being fixed. And I always, I bring this pie chart up every once in a while, and it's Seth Partno mm. who brought this up on Twitter. Oh,
1: love a good pie chart. It's, you know, it's good, Thanksgiving. We're, we're close to pie time. So it's a good, love it's a good pumpkin pie. pie chart.
0: Yeah, pumpkin pie chart, sweet potato, I know, sweet potato pie. Ooh. I'm a big chocolate pie not, you fan know what's myself. It's funny, I'm,
1: I'm a huge, I'm a huge sweet potato guy but not a big sweet potato pie guy.
0: Yeah, well, see, we have a bump though where you do argue for sweet potato pie, so maybe well you
1: because just- because I felt like it needed. It's not that necessarily like I'm a huge sweet potato guy, but I felt like I needed to to stand up for sweet potatoes because they were being insulted. <laughs> oh, I'm more of a sweet potato casserole person. Anyway, go on.
0: Well, we're a year away from Eric Collins saying that he kind of got screwed by his choice of a wife because of what was it, sweet potatoes? <laughs> 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 it's, it's it's a year ago. It might even be today. We might be around that kind Of time frame to be honest with you because it was around Thanksgiving time, and that's what Eric Collins said. Elaborate, Eric. Elaborate, yes. Steve Clifford, very frustrated with all of his team's effort right now and how it was a problem last year. What and was pie your pie chart. chart? What was your pie yeah, chart? thank you? Yes, sorry, pies, pumpkin pies, all that stuff. So, Seth Partno talked about how like coaches would say 40% of your job is to get players to buy in and just execute, mm-hmm. and then like mm-hmm. 10 20 is mm-hmm. I forget what it is. I'm i can look it up but it was like 10 or 20 is to is to you know pick up and not even just pick up the offense but be accepting of the offense be accepting of the idea of what you're trying to preach right or maybe that's even 40% all of it except for like 10 is is actual scheme you know so all of that is the kind of intangibles and you know making sure that your players are trusting in you and then the 10 percent is the schematics and you know if your offense is flowing and whatever and i always think that's interesting right steve clifford comes in after jb and clifford is trying to get this team to play up to his standards as far as the effort goes and physicality and it's still not helping
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the defensive schemes have been dead on. I I think they've been able to effectively take a lot of star players away for portions of a game. I mean, you look at this and KP – Uh, You know This game against Washington was so sad to lose because you're not going to get much of a worse game than you got from from, uh, Kristaps, who was 4 of 19 from the field, 2 of 18 from 3. I thought they did a great job on him defensively, less so on Beal, although I thought to start the game, they got Beal on a little bit of a rocky start, but he picked things up as the game went on. But so I think defensively the schemes have been good. I think offensively they have the right idea. They're just not knocking down shots. But yeah, I do think that a little bit of this is about toughness and about effort uh, here's my question to you Walker who do you think he was talking about there do you do you think uh, he was talking yeah, about a particular me, player
0: th- you're gonna do that to me um yeah I don't know I I mean if I have you a look clue at, I have
1: I have a thought I have a thought of I've I well, recklessly speculate a little bit on who I think he was talking about
0: well against Washington it can't be James Booknight because he didn't play That's and I, I be wonder be. I I wonder if Booknight is someone that is in that umbrella under that because of the way that he was speaking and now book Knight's not playing anymore seems like he might be out of the rotation did play 12 minutes against cleveland but didn't score a point i mean just not many good box scores to point to for james book which wasn't really true last year right like james book wouldn't get played all that much but when jb put him out there There were a few games you could point to and say, "Awesome, that's the blow-up game, that's the potential." But I, I won't ramble on on book night. It just seems like he's out of the rotation. What player do you think it is?
1: Well, I think it's well. Again, I don't think that he's specifically calling out a particular player, but I will call out some of the toughness and issues that Nick Richards had in this game, and also PJ Washington. Uh, I already mentioned in the first segment that play where Richards couldn't get the defensive rebound and really barely tried to block out. I mean, honestly, he didn't get pushed out of the paint, but it looked very similar to what Mark Williams looked like in the preseason and we were screaming about that. And, you know, Nick Richards is getting double-doubles. He's doing good things on the offensive end, and, and I think that has a lot of fans wondering why he's not starting over Mason Plumlee at this point. And I think that fourth quarter is a big reason why. That's winning time. That was an opportunity for the team that had a lead going into that fourth quarter to maintain it and get the W and and Clifford cannot rely on Nick Richards to be physical enough to get that defensive board there was also another play 852 left in the fourth quarter where Kuzma back down Gordon Hayward one one on one gets the Mm -hmm. and one on Gordon nobody comes to help and Nick Richards and PJ Washington were right there and you could hear on the broadcast because nobody goes to Wizards games either it's very similar to Spectrum Center where oh
0: the huge hot mic game I mean there was so many expletives we heard we heard somebody shot i forget who it was and then at the very beginning of the game somebody said
1: trash trash shot and we can hear all i didn't hear that i did hear i did hear Someone scream, "All hell no!" When Mason Plumley <laughs> put a left-handed yep. free throw—it no, was a free throw jumper—but he put up the free throw. Yep. He put up the jumper, and somebody—it th- felt like it was Brad Beal. That was like, "Oh hell no!" Brad, Brad,
0: uh, and DSJ—they were chirping. They—they they were going out
1: chirping it. too. And unfortunately, I think Brad—you know—I hate to admit it—but I think Brad Beal got got dsj uh and now dsj well, Jr.
0: got a block though man i mean that block was a very sun type of it's block true. and looked him Beale up Bill had, down. had
1: a big was... shot over him in the fourth quarter though Um, uh, but anyway so um what i was saying is that uh you could hear clifford screaming at the top of his lungs dig dig and for those that don't know dig means when somebody's backing someone down you want another player digging down, going down and trying to steal the basketball, doubling down on that post-up, and and nobody does it. Nick doesn't react. PJ doesn't react. And so it's just little stuff like that that you can just feel the anger bubbling up in, in Steve Clifford because he knows he knows when, when you're playing on the margins like the Hornets are, when you're missing your only all-star player in LaMelo Ball who can single-handedly transform a game. That's really only something I think Kelly Oubre can do for the Hornets right now is like singularly move a game in a different direction. Terry Rozier's not doing it. Gordon's shoulder is his arm is dead. I mean, he can't. You know what I'm saying? Like he's do he did some great things in this game. Gordon Hayward did, but I don't. Yeah. You can't rely on he's him hurt. right now. He's too hurt. Um, so uh, they're, you know, they're playing you, guys you, that
0: are hurt. They did they did it yeah. with Lamelo. They're playing Gordon right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's difficult to watch, but when you're when you're playing on the margins like that, those are the kinds of things that decide games. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's Nick Richards and PJ Washington not playing tough enough. I'll say I'll say it. If Clifford can't say it, I'll say it.
0: I don't think he can. I mean, maybe not to the public, maybe behind. Well, it wouldn't be smart to
1: say it, right? I mean, no, I mean, it would he, not. He understands. <laughs> he understands like how to, and I'm sure he's he's saying it in maybe a little bit less subtle way behind the scenes, but he's not going to go out there in the in the media and do that.
0: I want to finish with Nick Richards a little more so because he continues to be an amazing offensive rebounder. I mean, he had four in this game and he had six defensive rebounds, which we'll take from Nick Richards at this point, but he has 10 total, right? But four of them, offensive rebounds. We know how good of a offensive glass type of guy he is. I do think he's so much better at that end because, you know, and you see this every once in a while where guys are awesome offensive rebounders and it just doesn't translate to the f- defensive end. And, it, and it's weird, right? It almost feels like a faux pas. It feels like somebody me- messed up in the stats. But it's true. I think when you're an offensive rebounder, you can get downhill a little more. You have more space to work with, where when you're blocking out, you're, if it, your responsibility at that point is only your guy, right? So yeah. I'm supposed to block out my guy and make sure he doesn't get it. For me, I mean, hell, when I was playing, that was my only responsibility. I was like, this guy's not going to get the basketball. But it didn't necessarily mean that I had to get the basketball. And I wonder if Nick, when he does block out, He doesn't have you. You are the aggressor on offensive rebounds because right because you get downhill, you can start to create a little bit more speed. You can even push some power in there where you're starting from nothing. Right. You're trying to get a low base and push back Mm -hmm. out from nothing where you don't have a running start. And I think Nick kind of thrives on the running starts. I think he kind of just one, two steps of momentum that goes a long way and you get better vision. Because if you're, you have to switch around like this, right? So nobody can see, but you have to turn around and look at the basket when you're trying to box out. And that gets in people's heads every once in a while when you're talking about these centers who have a better offensive minded game for rebounding than they do defensive minded game.
1: Well, I, I think too. Like Nick Richards, in my mind, possesses all the physical tools necessary to rebound on both ends of the floor. Like he's big enough. Would you agree? He's strong enough. Like he's not. He's not playing from behind in that. In that. I don't respect, view right? Nick
0: as soft. Right? Maybe. Maybe he's not playing with the physicality that Steve. But wants, but, it, but, but it's I, up here. That's what I'm soft. saying.
1: That's what I'm saying. It's up here. Mm-hmm. It's it's and yeah. I'm pointing to my my head now because the mentality We've done a about of offensive visual medium
0: things in this. Yeah, right. I'm, pointing, I'm pointing.
1: I'm pointing to my forehead. It's up there, right? Because it, on the offensive end of the floor, the offensive rebound. It's really about beating someone to the spot and grabbing the basketball, and then you've got a mind to score at that point, which Nick Richards excels at. It's not just that he can get offensive rebounds; it's that he knows he can put up numbers in the putback game, which because the Hornets have been not uh, hitting shots, has been essential to the Hornets. Even being moderately good at offense has been the putback game. It has been a a big part of their of their game. But on the defensive end of the floor, when it comes to defensive rebounding, it's it's a to me it's a, it's a team thing where you have to get a body on a body. And you're even when you do that, you're not guaranteeing yourself that you're even going to get a shot at the basketball. Like that play where Taj Gibson mm-hmm. gets the offensive board. If if he just puts a body on on Taj and moves him out of the way. Nick probably doesn't get the defensive rebound it probably goes to one of the guards who were standing there who would have picked it up but but he had to put a body on a body and said he was looking for the basketball and that's I think that's often the mistake that people make on the defensive end of the floor is instead of focusing on body on body they're focusing on where's the basketball let me go get the basketball and that it doesn't work like that,
0: that that's why I always like the messaging more so to players whether it be coaching whatever you know whatever the message is coming from or whatever source it's make sure you guy doesn't get it and then hold them for a second or two and then you can go get it but let that ball bounce a couple times i mean we would do drills like that i'm sure other people listening maybe if you're coaching maybe you've done drills like that in high school where and it, it, it's simple right it's like oh okay now i fixed the hornets problems that's not what i mean but if, if you make sure that your defensive guy does not get the board then it doesn't matter if you necessarily get it as much but you do have to go collect it after a second right like just you there, somebody does, and that's the problem. If, if you do it, then yeah. and you don't let your guy get it, it goes a long way.
1: Well, Clifford said this, that this is not something that they can work on right? I mean, they're not going to run drills in the middle of a regular season to talk about defensive rebounding. This is stuff that everybody knows how to do. When you get to this level, you know how to do it. It's really a question of your desire to do so, your understanding of the impact that that not allowing that offensive rebound is going to have. And if they don't understand it, if Nick Richards and P.J. Washington and the rest of this team does not understand the impact that an offensive rebound can have on this particular team, then I don't know that they're ever going to understand it and I don't know what Steve Clifford can do to necessarily change that. Here's the problem. This team wasn't built on those kinds of things, right? This team was built before Steve Clifford got here and he's trying to sort of cut and paste his model on a team that he admits is built to run and not yeah, necessarily He's, built he's been in it be a tough.
0: million times.
1: It's not built for tough, okay? He's dealing with a Chevy and trying to act like it needs to be for tough. And I think that's where the problem is. And if they would just hit a couple of more shots, they'd probably look closer to the 43 win team that they were last year. Instead, they're not. And this is what's happening.
0: Steve Clifford has been awarded a Chevy. And on the back of the Chevy, he put a sticker of the little kid peeing right. on a Chevy logo right. with Ford in the foreground to make sure that you know he's Team Ford, even though he's driving a Chevrolet. That is what Steve Clifford is dealing with right now. All right, let's go to a couple of players that are built Ford tough coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast.
1: Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet.
0: Didn't feel right with me saying it didn't fit my MO. We are going to get to a couple of players for the Hornets that are playing very well, though. And even Steve Clifford had some high praise for him, um, one of the players, just last night. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. So, how does it work? You get to pick two to six players on Prize Picks. And if they go score more or less than the. Pro- Projection, you can win up to twenty-five times your money. That's right, twenty-five times more on your money than any um, on any of the entries that you put in there. No competing against other people; it's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, and there's a lot of them: NBA, NHL, MLB, college football, men's and women's college basketball, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, cricket, Euro basketball, disc golf. Okay, I'll stop there, but you get the idea. There's a lot more sports, by the way. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. You have safe and fast withdrawals, and they're currently operational in over 30 states and even Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit 100, prize picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, prize picks will give you 50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on. It's sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Who are the players that are playing very tough and playing with maybe some physicality? We'll get to that next on the Locked On Hornets podcast.
1: This is Locked On Hornets. This amazing photo of Mitch Kupchak standing next to Steve Clifford in, in what looks like. A, 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 I think if you if you typed into one of those AI image generators, shotgun wedding, uh, this is the picture that would come <laughs> up. Because Steve Clifford looks yeah, absolutely that's
0: so good. Shocked. There's not a background. Underrated part of this. It's right. just a blank white screen. So you're not having any Hornets graphics. You don't even have the courtesy to There's bring blank, in blank white, white
1: faces. Too. blank white faces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets
1: podcast.
0: Let's finish with some redeeming comments about the players here, Doug, because it's Uh. been brutal watching the Hornets. A couple things I wanted to talk about, and you can see on the graphic if you're watching on YouTube. Kelly Oubre and DSJ. Let's go to Kelly Oubre first. I, I have all the praise for Kelly, and this is someone that I was not pleased with last year, certainly in the second half. That's when it all came crashing down. The fact that he was shooting at a career high the first half of the season from three, second half it came crashing down. It didn't matter. He kept shooting. He kept letting it fly, and that was a real problem. He did discuss early this year that he needed to play more so inside out. That has been a Steve Cliffordism this entire year. You've heard, you know, you you, guys need to get into a rhythm. That's always been a big Steve Clifford thing and playing inside out. I I feel like Kelly has bought into that and the numbers, you know, yes, I'm using them to make my argument. Of course, that's what you do with any stat. I do think that if you look at the percentage of the stats of the, of the shots that he's taking of what he's making, he's actually shooting a little bit worse at, at the rim this year, but he's taking so much more shots with inside the three point arc that it's really helping him. So, Changing the way, changing his style has really helped. Now, overall field goal percentage I don't think is as good, but that's because I think the three-point shot is so poor. He's shooting like 32% from three this year. That's worse than what he was shooting last year, but he's helping himself out by driving, attacking, and he's made a lot of tough shots. So I like what Kelly has done offensively. I think he has played better defensively this year. There's been a couple steals that he's just been the beneficiary of with him being in the same area, but... I do think Kelly has been a little more involved in the passing lane, so I do think Kelly's playing better. Last thing I'll say, too, I, I just want to shed all of the light, all of the positivity on what is the best story for the Hornets right now, and it's Dennis Smith Jr. It, it, the, the injury that he suffered, that hurt this team defensively. I, I think the numbers kind of told that as well. For, for me, Dennis Smith Jr. had three awesome defensive plays like not oh okay that's 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 pretty good no three fantastic defensive plays one was the block on bradley beal iso just swatted it and and got it going you know brought some nasty to it and was talking to the team's best player also just ripped it from chris daps porzingis down low just took it just took his cookies and then three the transition block on goodwin I mean That was insane Uh, to to get back. And while you're in the air, you know, control enough to block it. That, I mean, that's two points. That's, that's Washington scoring should have been a bucket. And Dennis Smith jr. Gets back and had two blocks, by the way, led the team and block shots in this game. Also had two steals. Steve Clifford afterwards said Dennis Smith jr. I mean, unquestionably. So he said, Dennis Smith jr. Was the best player on the floor. That, that was it. And the numbers—if you look at his scoring, six points. No, offensively, box score doesn't look impressive. But man, I watched him on the floor last night, and I thought some of that too. I just the reclamation project that is Dennis Smith Jr. It's been so fun to to see him live up a little bit to what he was drafted to be, and maybe even change the way he plays for sure. But just all of all of the praise for Dennis Smith, man. Like what what he's doing is incredible.
1: It is it is really incredible. I want to go back to Kelly and say that I did not. I don't think that there's a single universe that exists in the multiverse where Doug Branson came on the Locked On Hornets podcast and anticipated that Kelly Oubre would be making a bigger impact than Terry Rozier on the Charlotte Hornets this season. I just did not did not expect that he had worked himself out of the out of Borrego's rotation by the end of last season, because there were all kinds of issues with the shot making and decision making in general. Now he is in the in these past twelve games. Uh, which have been uh, uh, losing affairs for the Charlotte Hornets, but it's not been because of Kelly Oubre, who is third on the team in rebounding. Like, again, I, just shocking that he would be giving that kind of effort on the boards. N- still not passing a ton, I think, in, the, <laughs> no. in no this game. Uh, it's like the one area where I don't know that the game is ever going to change, but in this game, I think he had like sort of a Kobe-esque line where he was 10 of 20 from the field, took the most shots on the team, one of seven from three, 23 points, zero assists. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. That's no, that's me. him. He, he he does. but not seven hat.
1: rebounds. but seven rebounds like he's making the impact and he's hitting tough shots. on the DSJ front, he had uh, two steals in that third quarter where the hornets wrestled the lead away from Washington when it just seemed like they were really not going to compete at all with mm. the Wizards. He was a big part of getting into the lead. And then that block that you mentioned that happened in transition, remember, they were down eight at that point because that was after that bad fourth quarter stretch that that got them that, that got them down eight, that would have been down ten. And I think at that point that would have been game over. I think that block saved the game and gave he's them played. at yeah. least an opportunity. So yeah, DSJ has been amazing. And and here's the thing we we talked about Gordon Hayward. He's grabbing his shoulder. He had a Willis Reed moment where he goes out in the fourth quarter after that Kai Jones amazing dunk. And then he comes back, he goes to the locker room. They, you know, do something to his shoulder and he comes back <laughs> out. And um but, but if he – he clearly needs to sit for a little while longer. It's unfortunate, right? I mean, you know, for a for myriad of reasons. But he's not healthy. It would honestly make – it probably make the team worse, but it would make the team better at guard at least because then you could start Dennis Smith Jr. play in more minutes alongside Terry Rozier, Kelly Oubre, PJ, and Mason. Um, because the starting unit still getting blitzed, the one starting unit that has worked this season that has a positive point differential is the one I just mentioned: DSJ, Terry, Kelly, PJ, and Mason Plumley. So it would at least get you to that starting lineup, and would get Gordon 100% healthy for some, you know, future return.
0: I think Dennis Smith Jr. is doing a lot of the lifting there too, and you can look in the plus-minus column of this game. Yeah, it's not the indicative stat. Totally get it. Dennis Smith Jr. also finished with the highest plus-minus in this game, and there were some really low. Plus minuses. And only,
1: but only, here's the thing only 25 minutes. Terry Rozier played 37 minutes in this game. Kelly Oubre played 29. He earned it. Mason played 30. There's issues there that we're going to talk about later this week in terms of the center position. They've got quite a conundrum on their hands. PJ got 34. So, like, I I think you got to reevaluate that. Ultimately, you have to reevaluate Dennis Smith Jr. only getting 25 minutes. He's making too much of an impact not to play him more. Uh, I, uh and and we have to we have to tease ahead because you know we didn't really talk about that kai jones dunk we will talk about it this week mm-hmm. and his minutes that he's been yeah. getting that have only been a few but they've been important minutes and and i, I can't wait to talk more about kai jones later this week
0: starting to take up starting to take up got eight in this game and those are the thor minutes <laughs> he, sorry for he's the more exciting thor man he's yeah. exciting that dunk was crazy all right let's uh let's talk about kai jones as the week goes on thanks for making us your first listen today for your second listen check out locked on sports today from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insight only locked on can provide locked on sports today available on this app youtube and wherever you get your podcasts have a great rest of your day we'll be back with you tomorrow